Well, we're going to end our service tonight with the Lord's Supper, but I wanted to share with you tonight some uh, some insights that um, the Lord blessed me with this past week in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, but I'm going to give you an introduction uh, to Proverbs before we get there. Um, I would say Proverbs is is a beloved book. I, I think that as far as an Old Testament book is concerned, um, Christians, New Covenant believers, New Testament believers, however you want to say that, probably read Psalms and Proverbs more than any other Old Testament book. And I think that we do that because they're so, uh, so applicable. Uh, readily available to to salve our souls, to help us in uh, in life. Um, I would guess every Christian has read the book of, of Proverbs, even the Gideons, Prince, uh, the New Testament with Psalms in it, and some have Psalms and, and Proverbs. Many people read Proverbs on the day, which is that whatever day of the month it is, you read that chapter in Proverbs, since there's 31 then in most months or several months, you get to read a proverb every, every single day. Proverbs is near and dear to, to my heart for several reasons. One, it's the Word of God. Two, whenever I was an early Christian, I started reading the Proverbs on the day, and I can't tell you how many times I've read through the book of Proverbs. And three, more personal, it was my grandfather's favorite book in the Bible. He was, he was a self-taught man. Uh, never went beyond um, elementary school, and yet he was one of the wisest men uh, I ever met. And he didn't get saved until he was close to 60. But whenever he did, he loved the book of, of Proverbs. And he, he, what he loved about it was how readily available the, the application was. There's not much work needed to understand what to be or what to do Whenever you read the book of Proverbs, it's very straightforward, kind of like the book of James. And we don't really like the bad about the book of James because it hurts. I mean, James just comes right at you. Proverbs just lays it right out for what instructs us what to do or what to be. It, the, the fruit hangs low on the tree, if, uh, if you will. And while that's true about the book of Proverbs, you can turn anywhere in the book of Proverbs and it's not like uh, reading a New Testament epistle where if you open it up into the middle and you start reading in the middle, you need to know the context. There's context to Proverbs, but you can turn to you know, Proverbs 16 and drop down somewhere in the middle of there and you'll find usually two lines that, that you can assess and apply to, uh, to your life. But Proverbs does have a structure. Proverbs is what's called uh, wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes is also called wisdom literature. Song of Solomon is classified as wisdom literature. There are some psalms that are wisdom psalms that would fall in that category. And believe it or not, the book of Job is also considered a wisdom portion of, uh, of the Bible. Proverbs will, will make one wise, as, as you probably have realized in, in reading it. And yet, Proverbs, while it's a wisdom literature, it's not disconnected from the rest of the Old Testament. 
as we're preaching through the Foundation series, which we'll get back to, we're tracing the storyline of redemption from Genesis all the way up to the time of Christ. And Proverbs is not just, you know, something disconnected, kind of like dangling there, not inserted into the redemptive flow of the, of the Old Testament. Proverbs is about living, but it's directly connected to, to redemption. Proverbs is clearly given to, to help us live life on the earth, but it has a lot to do with God's work. Um, redemption, the work of redemption involves God restoring man to his proper functioning order, right? I mean, when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, they were placed there by God to dress and keep. They were placed in God's creation to function. And He gave them responsibilities. And He gave them an order. And when the fall happened, all of that was trounced. It was trashed. And, and sin affected creation. Sin affected mankind, and it affected how we live and how we act and how we carry out those responsibilities. And so Proverbs is connected to redemption because redemption, God's, God's ultimate, one of God's ultimate aims in redemption is correcting that. There will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. You'll serve and, and you'll work in, in heaven and, and you're being redeemed for, for that purpose. And and man has fallen, and our behavior and our actions are fallen as well. And Proverbs corrects wrong living. And Proverbs shows us right living. Now, you won't be able to keep that perfectly, but you'll desire to and strive to as a believer, and it's a guide. Wisdom is also part of worship. And worship is all about redemption. Wisdom is part of worship. Right living comes from a heart that desires to please God. And, and that heart is restored in salvation. To be wise means to be skilled in the art of godly living. Knowledge, having information is one thing. Being wise, being a wise man or a wise woman means that you become skilled. You know that information, you understand that information, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and then you know how to apply it in life. And you apply it because you love God. You apply it out of a heart. You, the reason that believers do what they do, the reason that believers strive to obey God, strive to love others, take a message like this morning and, and work on it, it's because you love God. You do that out of a heart of worship. You worship God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. Well, that's not saying, well, now that you love me, you've got to go to, back to the to-do list. What he's saying is, is if you truly have a changed heart, a, a transformed heart, what will flow out of that is an obedient life. It'll be a life that desires to, to please God. So Proverbs helps us. Wisdom has to do with worship. And the phrase that's repeated over and over and over in the book of Proverbs it has to do with wisdom. It's wisdom literature. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the starting point of wisdom. Have you ever paid attention to that word, Lord? 
The fear of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The fear of Yahweh, the fear of the covenant God is the beginning of wisdom, directly connected to redemption. And also much of Proverbs applies. The law. Proverbs is not just a disconnected book from the Old Testament that gives you pithy statements or wisdom principles to live. It's directly connected to God's people. It's directly connected to redemption. It shows us how the law is applied in life. And there are plenty of implications of redemption that has to do for law. So, what's the point of all of that? I want to show you that, that Proverbs is directly connected to Old and New Testament. And while it's true, an unbeliever can apply many of the principles or some of the principles in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is written for you and for me. It's written for the family of God. The fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We pray that every human being would have that. We also know that we must have that or should have that as, as believers. So the passage that we're going to look at tonight is, is Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. Just 12 verses. And we're going to read it. And then I'll tell you where it fits in the skeleton. There are about ten hooks that you could hang. The structure of Proverbs is hung upon, and we're going to look at the third one. It's in chapter 3. It begins in verse 1. It says, My son, I'm reading from the ESV tonight, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight or direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your substance or with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase, all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as the Father in whom... As, the fa- as a father, the son in whom he delights. Chapter 3 of Proverbs is the third parental appeal in the book. Look at how it starts in verse 1. He says, my son. You see that? My son, forget not my teaching. That is a phrase that's repeated over and over in the book of Proverbs. And this is the third appeal third parental appeal that's made in the book of Proverbs. Turn back to Proverbs 1 because it sets the context for the whole book. We'll go back, take about five minutes, and let me show you this structure, and then we'll break chapter 3 down. 
Verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of, of Israel. And verses 4 and 5 give us the intended audience of the book. It says, To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to youth. And verse 5, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who has understanding obtain guidance. So there's the intended audience. Verse 4 says it's written to the simple, it's written to the youth, and it's written to instruct them. So if you have children, or you're a new believer, or you don't know much about godly living, Proverbs is someplace you really need to spend a lot of time. Proverbs was specifically written to instruct your children, to instruct new infants in the faith, and instruct the simple, those who don't know the right way, instruct them in the, in the right way. Teach your children the gospel to get them in the kingdom, and then include Proverbs so they can understand how to function once they're in the kingdom. Verse 5, though, says it's not just for kids or the simple or those who lack discretion. Verse 5 says it's also for the wise. And it's also for the one who understands. Verse 5 says it's written to the wise and those who understand so that you can grow or increase. Now, this is an admonition probably to the majority of us in here tonight. This says that you never outgrow the book of Proverbs. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's not just for the ABCs and 1, 2, 3 Christians. The book of Proverbs is, is for the wise. It's for... For you and, and for me. You only increase in understanding by studying the, the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs is written in a format like from a parent to a child. In a lot of places, the book of Proverbs is Solomon speaking. He's giving, in some cases, the wisdom that David gave to him. And in other cases, he's giving wisdom to his, his own son. Look at verse 8, chapter 1. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. There is the first parental appeal. And if you would read that, which we won't go there, it has all to do with, with a parent, father appealing to a son. The first parental appeal is concerning greed and unjust gain. Be careful about being greedy, be careful about gaining things in life unjustly. That's the first appeal that's, that's made in, in, in chapter, chapter 1. In verse 20 through 33, you have that call to wisdom. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. It says, hey, listen up, this is the right way to go. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, because you have this same thing happening again. Verse 1, look at Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words, there's the second parental appeal. He says, my son again. And this one is an appeal to get wisdom. The first one is to avoid greed and unjust gain. The second appeal that's made in the book of Proverbs to my son is an appeal to get wisdom. And you have this beautiful section in Proverbs where where it's an appeal to get wisdom. It's a father saying to a son, you know, make your ear attentive, bend your ear, cry for wisdom, seek it like silver, search for it like buried treasure. For the Lord gives wisdom 
in verse 6. That's where you're going to find wisdom. Yahweh gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and, and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom to the upright. So He gives the second parental appeal. Now turn over to our passage in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, 1 begins the same way. My son. This is the third parental appeal in the book of Proverbs. Verse 1 says, my son. Look down at Proverbs 3, verse 11. Now you know Proverbs is a lot like, not like Psalms. There are two verses that go together. Usually the verse says the same thing. It just says it in a different way. So, as we're going to see in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 go together, 3 and 4 go together, 5 and 6 go together, 7 and 8 go together, 9 and 10, and 11 and 12. Now you know I can count the 12 being from West Virginia by twos. All right? Look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. So you've got bookends here. You've got brackets. This is a whole section. This is a parental appeal. My son, do not forget my teaching in verse 1. My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. That's on the end. And what is in between those two, those two brackets are six sets of instructions. Two verses for one instruction. And these are six instructions on how to fear the Lord. And the first one that he gives here in verses 1 and 2, the first instruction is to follow the instructions of faithful parents carefully. Follow the instructions of faithful parents. How do you fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of wisdom. A wise way to live. way to follow God. There's, James says, there's God's wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom, that which comes down from above, and then there's worldly, demonic wisdom. There's really only two systems of thinking in all of the world, just like there are two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. Those in the church, those outside of the church. Well, there's only two wisdoms. There's God's wisdom, and then there's worldly wisdom. So, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, there's six instructions that he gives here to his son on how to fear the Lord. Follow the instructions of faithful parents carefully. Look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So verse, the first verse is the instruction. The second verse, or the second verse, yeah, the second verse. First verse, the instruction. The second verse is the, is the blessing or is the, the result or it's the fruit of if you do it. If you do this, then this is... What will happen generally? The first set of instructions, we're told to heed the instruction of faithful parents. You realize how great of a blessing it is to have parents? Now I know a lot of your parents here tonight, and you're sitting there saying, Boy, I wish my kids were here right now to hear this message. My son, do not forget my teaching or let your heart keep my commandments. It is a blessing to have parents. It's not just because Satan wants to advance sin, that he promotes feminism and chauvinism and homosexuality and tries to tear down the sanctity of marriage. 
He does it because it is damaging. It's a blessing to have parents. Now, you may have one, you may have two. Whatever you have, praise God for them. But instruction to fear the Lord is directly related, following the instructions of faithful parents carefully. Notice what he says, Do not forget my teaching, and let your heart keep my commandments, treasure my commandments. This is a, this is take great care, take great pain. And I want you to notice that he's given parents to you for help and blessing, and you're wise if you follow their their godly counsel. Now, parents don't always give perfect counsel. That's why it says faithful parents. I can remember, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form tearing down my parents, but I can remember some counsel that my father gave me that was horrible counsel because it went contrary to what the Scriptures would teach. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. Here's the idea of my son, don't forget my teaching. And, and this is the teaching of a father who follows after God, a mother who follows after God. I want you to notice that he indicates the benefit of their teaching doesn't end at childhood. He says, do not forget my teaching. He doesn't say, remember my teaching until you're 18, or remember my teaching until you're out of my house. Or remember, He says, don't forget my teaching Period. He indicates the benefit of the counsel of godly parents goes far beyond the time that you're under their, their roof. Parents no longer command obedience from grown children, but they always, according to Scripture, command honor. There's a difference between obeying your parents and honoring your parents. If you're under their authority, your child's under their authority, God commands children to obey. If they're out from under that, then... You honor. But you're wise if you remember what they taught. I was just telling Tracy yesterday, we got the, I was sitting at the counter stringing the first batch of Mountaineer half runner green beans that we got out of the garden. My dad planted the garden. Nathan was just diligent and faithful to go down there and water it and miracle grow it and do all kinds of things and help my dad. And I was just sitting there stringing these beans and just the smell just took me back to a kid. You ever done that? You know, just things in the kitchen or otherwise. And I can remember sitting there. I can remember Tracy sitting, stringing bushels of half-runner beans to can and have Bailey as a little boy right beside her. I can remember doing that with, with my mother. And I told Tracy, I can remember that whenever my dad would string green beans, uh, you never wanted to eat them unless mom got a hold of them after dad did. Because he was always really quick, and his goal was to break them in half and get them in the pan, you know? And whatever you could strip off there, that was, was fine. But I can remember that my mom would go back long after my dad was gone, and he would, she would pick out what he missed, and he missed a lot. <laughs> she could have easily ridiculed him. His name's William Bryan, WB, it's dub for short. Dub, look at look at all these, look at all these beans that you missed. There's strings all over. How can we eat this? But I never heard her ridiculing ridicule. She could have complained about the ones that he missed, but instead she thanked him for his help and cleaned them up later. 
And just in that little simple example, came to my mind as I was preparing tonight, I learned from that how a woman honors her husband in a moment like that. What your mama taught you is good for all of life in a lot of cases, isn't it? And you're a foolish person if you don't listen or don't look to parental counsel. Disobedient children, children disobedient to parents is an indication in the New Testament of the, of the latter days. It has the idea of independence. I don't need anyone. I don't need history. I don't need any connection to anything. I can do it myself. I can run my own life. And then he says here, that's not fearing the Lord. Following the instruction of faithful parents. And the, look at the benefits. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will, they will add to you. The benefits, the wisdom of faithful parents, it's length of days and peace. As a general rule, obeying instruction brings success in life. And in many cases, you outlive those who forsake wise teaching. I have... Many, not one, not two. I have many friends that are no longer walking the earth because they live foolishly. And I would say that every single one of them at some point went out on their own and forsook their parents. I think there's a primary and a secondary admonition here. You could say the primary is follow the instruction of faithful parents But I think underlying that is just the idea that God has ordained authority. And following after godly authority is protection, whether that's in parents, whether that's in the home, whether that's in the church, whether that's in life. Let me give you the second one. Second instruction on how to fear the Lord that Proverbs gives is hold firmly in faith to the covenant promises of God. Verses 3 and 4. Hold firmly to faith in the covenant promises of God. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So there's the command. There's the instruction, if you will. And then here's the benefit. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Hold firmly to faith in the covenant promises of God. Second set of instructions, and it's all about living by faith in God's covenant promises. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Steadfast love and faithfulness are two terms that God uses to describe Himself and His relationship to you, to His people. Turn back to Exodus 34, verse 5. Exodus 34, verse 5. God reveals Himself in Exodus 34 in a very dramatic way. This is where Moses makes two tablets after the sin of the people. Moses is going to see the Lord. So Moses, this is Exodus 34, 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in his hand, the two tablets of stone. And he went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord commanded him, and he took, the, took in his hand the two tablets of stone, 
Verse 5, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. So Yahweh descends, the Lord descends in the cloud and the Lord proclaims his own name. And what that means is God reveals himself. God tells Moses who he is and what he's like. How is God going to describe himself? How is God going to reveal himself? This is a pivotal moment in all of the Bible and clearly in redemptive history. In God has led his people out of Egypt. Joseph comes in, goes in a family. He comes out a nation. And now these people are going to live in the promised land. They're going to be restored to the promised land. God's going to live in the midst of them. The law is going to regulate a holy God in the midst of an unholy people till the Messiah comes. And here are the two tablets of the covenant. And God is, comes down on the mountain and He proclaims His own name. And here is how God describes Himself. Verse 6, The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, declared, The Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And there's our two words. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Powerful picture. God reveals Himself. How will the covenant God describe Himself to His covenant people? Well, He says that He is a God slow to anger, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn back to Proverbs 3. Verse 3. Let not steadfast faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. When God reveals Himself, He says, I'm God who abounds in loyal love and faithfulness to those who I'm in covenant with, to those who I'm in relationship with, and I bring holy justice on those who I'm not. I'll not just pass over sin. The only protection that you have is to be in covenant with God because in covenant with God, He makes a provision for you. Those outside, He doesn't forgive their sins or just pass over them. And Proverbs says, remember that. Bind that around your neck. Write it on your heart. Write the fact that God is a faithful God. He's faithful to His covenant. He's steadfast, loyal in His love. Don't let that forsake you. Don't let that slip away. Etch it on your soul. Live in light of that relationship is what he's saying. That's what it looks like to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is to remember God's promises and who He is and His covenant. The Christian life is, is lived on the basis of who you are in Christ. God's loving kindness and faithfulness to, to His promise to you. It's the foundation of your life, right? I mean, the only reason that I want to get out of bed, I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I wouldn't want to climb out from under the covers if there wasn't a faithful God who carried me through and who forgave the iniquity that I was going to commit even that day. Would you? Would you want to live your life if it was up to you? 
I mean, you know you can't save yourself, but you can't even keep yourself. So what keeps you? It's the steadfast faithfulness and love of the Lord. I'm His. He is mine. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He who began a good work will perform it until the day. Hold fast to that relationship, to those promises. Live by faith in those promises. It'll guide you. Let me give you the third one. It's found in verses 5 and, and 6. Yield your understanding to the Lord's wisdom. Third instruction that he gives here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge Him. And He'll direct your path. He'll make your path smooth. He'll make your path straight. Theta Lewis's favorite verse. It was, it was on a stone in the little garden that we, that we made for her. Instruction. What does it look like to fear the Lord? How do you fear the Lord? Yield your understanding to the Lord's wisdom is what verses 5 and 6 say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We're to trust in God with all our hearts, meaning fully, completely. We trust God with all of our hearts. It means we trust God completely. We trust Him fully. We don't trust God with 75% and us handle the other 25%. It's not 90-10. It's not 99-1. You trust in the Lord completely. Now, that's not always easy to do. But the idea is in life, you, you lean on the Lord And verse 6 gives us the opposite. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm sorry, the second half of verse 5 gives the opposite. What does it look like to trust in the Lord? It looks like not leaning on your own understanding. The positive and the negative. As opposed to trusting in your own understanding. How do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? How do you trust in the Lord completely? You don't lean on your own understanding when those two things come before you. You have two paths. A man or a woman who fears the Lord subordinates their understanding to God's instructions. And that sounds wonderful, and everyone in here would affirm that in theory. I mean, you know it. That's what it says. You put some tires on that. Put some rubber to the road, and it can get hard, right? Because it's not, it's not always as easy. Just like we were talking about this morning. I mean, if you're running around not caring about how you apply principles, you've got a bigger issue than applying principles. But you get down and you really get to the nuts and bolts and you start working some of those angles that aren't commanded or prohibited, you can find yourself it could be hard. And circumstances and phase of life and where you're at and your background and the baggage and all that can be, be difficult. You subordinate your own understanding of God's instructions. How many times in life we're tempted to go our own way, to take a shortcut, just this one time, go in a different direction, and your heart says it makes sense? I mean, really? I've got to do this every single time? But we're to yield our understanding in those moments to what God has stated. It's the fundamental difference with the world, isn't it? The world has its own ways, its own wisdom, its own understanding of things. And the world says we can decide what is called marriage. I mean, you've heard the argument, right? It totally redefines everything. But it totally makes sense to them. It totally makes sense to have two people who care for one another, and that's what a relationship looks like. That's what marriage looks like, right? I mean, what's the big deal? It's a total 
redefining of things. What Decide when human life has value. We're not saying human life doesn't have value. We're just saying that human life doesn't have value until that baby can survive on its own or until that person's life really wouldn't be worth living because they're suffering so much with cancer or whatever it is. In between these two things, that's really where the value is. Outside of that, they don't have value. And yet God says all life has value because I declare it has value. The Bible says that that Corky has value and he is a great blessing. He has just as much value and brings just as much glory to God as I do standing here speaking to you tonight. Because he's made in the image of God. Not because of what Corky can do or what Corky can't do. I mean, what would Timberlake like be, with, be like without Corky? What will work in the home and what won't work in the home? What's good parenting and what's not? Spanking your children versus not. I mean, these are all matters of ways of wisdom. And are you going to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Or are you going to lean on your own understanding and what makes sense? Because I'm telling you, the world can give you some very, very sound arguments that sound really, really good, right? What will work in, in sexuality? This is a fundamental error. And God says believers are different because when the argument sounds feasible, we subordinate our understanding, even our wants, to our Creator who is wise beyond belief. That's what you've bought into. It's not about just believing what Timberlake believes or I believe or, or anything else. It's what God says. And verse 6 says, the promise is if you do that, the course of your life will progress toward the goal of Christ-likeness. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. A path leads somewhere. And you and I, we're, we're on the path to Christ-likeness. We're being conformed to His image. We're being corrected. We're being redeemed. We're being remade spiritually and then gradually reclaiming ground and sanctification to be the man or the woman that God created us to be to begin with before the fall. Smooth means no obstacles to hinder you. Don't you have enough? I have enough obstacles to hinder me being made like Christ without going on my own understanding. <laughs> All right, cultivate humility. These last two are quick. Few are quick. Cultivate humility in living life. These two kind of go together. Yield your understanding of the Lord's wisdom. Cultivate humility. Look at verse 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So there's the instruction and there's the benefit of the result. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verses 5 and 6. Lean on your understanding. Verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 5 and 6 tells us to submit our understanding to the Lord because He's wiser. Verses 7 and 8 instructs us as a says a wise man is a humble one. Notice what it says here. Key in on these two words. Be not wise in your own eyes or your own understanding. And that's the key. A fool is pictured in Proverbs as one who goes it alone. A fool is self-made, self-sufficient, self-instructing. It's someone who's wise in his own eyes. Someone who doesn't need anybody else. 
It's someone who's autonomous. Autonomous from other people, autonomous ultimately from God. A wise man, though, is someone who has a healthy fear of the voice inside of his own head. (laughs) A person who fears God doesn't trust his own heart. He's not wise in his own eyes, but knows God has the answer and he looks to Him. He understands, Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can try its reins? God can try its reins. God can give the right diagnosis in the right direction. Let me give you number five. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your with your wealth. Verses 9 and 10. All of this has to do with instruction of how to fear the Lord. Evidence that you, that you fear the Lord is that you do all these things. Instruction how to cultivate fear of the Lord. Follow these six instructions. Honor the Lord with your, with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your substance or your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase or all your produce. There's instruction. Here's the benefit. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with, with wine. Honor the Lord with your substance. Think of that first part as the macro, the big picture, and then think of the second part as the micro or the, or the growth. So you honor the Lord with what you have, with your possessions, and then also with, with the increase. So here's what you've got, and here's how you live, and it increases, and you do something with both of those. To honor the Lord with your substance... It means to give proper weight to your wealth and how you use it. It's not just throwaway. It's not just something that you have. It's just part of earth. Whether we fear the Lord with our lives, we, we show that by, by how we use what we, what we have. Honor God with your substance. It, it means that, that you use it. You, you think about it. I'm going to... This is the Lord's. I'm going to honor God with what I have, with what I possess. I'm going to use it for righteous purposes. I'm going to use it for just purposes. It has weight. The weight that I'm giving to my substance is is directed toward the Lord. We can also use it for unrighteous purposes. Our possessions reveal a lot. All right, look at the second part. We also show fear of the Lord whether we give God first fruits. The first fruits of all of your produce. There's a lot of law, mosaic law inference here. The first fruits of all of your produce. You've read your Old Testament. You know that there were specific instructions to the Israelites to give God their first fruits. What's the principle here for us to apply? It has to do with the first. It has to do with the initial produce. Off the top, what's produced first? It has the idea that I acknowledge God with with whatever increase I have. I acknowledge God with with what I have, my stuff, and then I also acknowledge God in, in how it grows and how it increases. The best. Exactly right. 
It, it's how am I thinking about this in relation to God? Am I thinking about about the increase? Am I thinking about the produce? What what I make? The first fruits? It's my first inclination. Man, I'm so thankful that the Lord has given me strength, or I'm so thankful that God has allowed this increase. I, I, I just, I just, all of it's the Lord's, and I just want to honor Him in in some way. And I don't mean you have to say that in your mind, but that's the attitude of the heart. God's in the picture, not out of the picture, and you only think about Him whenever the plate comes around on Sunday morning. However you want to say it, the point is that a person who honors the Lord with what they have acknowledges the whole belongs. To him, and I don't mean the whole of the resources. I mean you. You belong to the Lord. They give God first and best before they give anyone else. And then prosperity in life follows a person who lives that way as a general rule. Here's the last one. Submit to the Lord in whatever He brings. Verses 11 and 12. It's not 11 through 22. I'll probably send it to him 11 through 22, but it should be 11 through 12. This is the last one. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You hear the New Testament say? You hear Hebrews say? If you don't experience the chastening of the Lord, you're bastards and not sons. You're illegitimate children. You're not really saved. Some evidence that you're God's is that He chastens you and disciplines you. I was tracing through the the Jews, the life of, of the Israelite. Just big picture. And I was reading the blessings of the Deuteronomic Deuteronomic covenant, to say that really fast. And it was just all these things that God's going to do. And then it gets to the curses. You read that recently? I'm going to curse this and I'll curse that. And there's more curses there than there are blessings. And then immediately, after he goes, here's the blessings of following, here's the curses if you don't. Immediately after that, then he says, but if you return to me, here are the blessings. Blessings are restored, and they'll be even more than they were to begin with. That is the Exodus 34, 5 God, who's faithful to His own promises, even when His people are, are unfaithful. Submit to the Lord in whatever He brings. Trust Him as a wise master in your life. Whatever you're going through, the Lord must know whether you need it or not to sanctify you. And I know it's hard, I really do. And if I was going through what you were going through, I would be thinking, man, it's really hard. But God knows how hard it is, and He promises that He'll give you whatever you need. And that's an evidence that everything's sifted through His wise hand. And a person who fears the Lord submits to the Lord. doesn't mean you enjoy it. You, you calculate it as good because God's good. And God won't leave you alone. He, he didn't fall off the throne. He didn't shut his eyes. He's not asleep. He's not, like, he's not like Baal. He doesn't have to be woken up. And you say, hey, Lord, I'm going through it over here. Evidently, you're paying attention in the other part of the world and not here in Lynchburg. He knows exactly. 
He's not even responding to you. He's proactive. He's ordaining things in your life before it ever happens because He knows the good end that He wants to bring you to because He's a faithful, faithful God.